Released on Sunday, January 28th, 2018. This Agile Life, episode 135. Shower stand-up. The software industry transforms more and more every day. Agile methods are quickly replacing traditional ones. The question is, are you agile enough? This podcast is devoted to agile and lean software development. Time to welcome your agile coaches on This Agile Life. Hi, I'm John Sextro. I'm Lee McCauley. And I'm Craig Buchek. And we are back with This Agile Life, a new episode following on the footsteps of our friend, our good friend. You know the guy I'm talking about, Jason Tice. He did he did one out in Denver with some folks from Asynchrony Labs. Today, we're back together trying to start 2018 the right way. Get this one out before the end of January. I'm um, trying my best here to to try and keep the uh, the podcast assurance plan or whatever it was that Jason called that going. So we're we're maybe using a little bit of new tech to try and roll some of this stuff out. Hopefully, this works out for everybody. Yay! All right, tonight for this episode, we're going to be talking about. Oh, it may not be night where you're listening when you're listening, but we're recording it at night, so I say night. But we're gonna. We're going to go through, roll through some question and answers. So Lee has found a site where there's some questions and answers about Agile out on the internet. Lee, what'd you yeah. find? What do you got? So, uh, this is this is out on Agile Connection, a a TechWell community. Uh, I, I don't know if that's a plug. It sounds like some company that uses it, but it's some pretty cool stuff. It's kind of similar to a uh, to a Stack Overflow, except not quite as good, but. They do have some really cool questions along uh, the lines of Agile. And uh, in particular, they have some of their most popular ones, which I thought some of them are pretty good. It would be interesting to see how we would answer these questions. I think so, too. And you know what? TechWell at one point uh, did sponsor the show and send it was they were going to send both Amos and I to one of their conferences. And I ended up having some sort of life conflict. But Amos went. Oh, great. Well, in that case, I have no problem uh, plugging them in. <laughs> There's their plug. They got their plug. All right. What do we got? <laughs> okay. So um, I'll take the first one just because I'm a hog. Um, and the very first, the very top question on their most popular Q&A is how do you estimate an epic? And it, it is interesting. I'll read the uh uh, beyond just the how do you estimate an epic, the little subtext is we were asked to estimate the effort for epics, but declined to do so until it was broken out into stories. Is there any realistic way to accurately estimate the effort for an epic? And uh, so I haven't really looked at what the uh, the other uh, responders had for this, and I'm trying not to look at them, even though I've got the thing on my screen, because uh, I don't want to be biased by these. My off-the-cuff answer to this is, yes, you can estimate these, but it's an estimate. Uh, and if you're having trouble with estimating epics, and uh, I think that's more of a business problem. It's not a coming up with an estimate problem. It's a maintaining expectations and communication with your customers as to what an estimate means and what your variability is. Uh, so to me, 
sure, you can do an estimate. You can do the best you can in any method that you choose uh, that seems to work for you. And we can talk about specific methods that uh, we've, we've used over uh, to varying degrees of success. Um, but to me, the real answer to this question isn't how do you do an estimate? It's how do you manage the communication with your customer on what that estimate means? And and maybe even at a larger point, managing expectations in general with your customer. Um, so I think even if you've got the stories in your epic estimated, I don't think adding them up always works right uh, because there's things you've probably missed and you're going to find as you explore. I mean, that's kind of what Agile is, is, is acknowledging that you don't know everything going in, right? So you're going to find things as you build the system. So even if you're building a, a feature within an Epic, you're not going to know everything that's, you're not going to know the problems you're going to come across, uh, especially if you're trying to integrate with some other systems, you're going to probably run into all kinds of things that you didn't expect, um, which are going to uh, stretch out your timelines quite a bit. Um, now, as your project gets more mature, you're probably running into less of those things and you probably can uh, just add up the, the story estimates and um, get to, you know, maybe add a little bit padding, but you know, the old adage is, you know, take your estimate and triple it. And then your manager takes his, your estimate that you give him and he gives his manager, you know, he doubles it. And then that manager doubles it again. And then the customer, you know, divides it by 12. Ah, I love the divide it by 12. Um, yeah, they, they do really <laughs> do. Now, what I will say here is I'm sort of a, a nitpicker on the language that's in here. So I, I really break that down when I'm answering these sort of questions. Is there any realistic way to accurately estimate the effort? And that's the part <laughs> that is the microaggression that triggers me <laughs> question, is to say accurately estimate, which of course we know is a, an oxymoron. The whole idea of estimation is the fact that it's it's a guess, it's an estimate, and accuracy is is unattainable in an estimate. Now, wh- it, when I would answer this question with clients and customers and friends and the like about how to go about estimating, what I go back to is uh, is is use history as the as the best, but still an imperfect predictor of your future, especially in terms of estimation. Uh, so the tool that I like to use or the mechanism that I like to use to do this is to do relative estimation where, where I compare new epics that I, I'm, I'm going to do with old epics that have already been finished and say, how similar are they to epics that we've done in the past? Of course, this is impossible to do if you're on a brand new project. And it's sort of in my world, it's always seems like a brand new project. So you kind of lose... You don't get to build up a lot of that history. But when you do have that history, uh, I, I, I think the best way to do this is by comparing them to past epics. And the, and the way I do it, and I think I've talked about this before, is I sort of uh, a pick, a, pick a broad set of epics from uh, my backlog that are finished. Not, so not from the backlog, but from, from the finished pile. I pick the ones that are like, uh, the high end of the spectrum, low end of the spectrum, all across the spectrum. And I lay them out and I say, is it like this one? Yes or no? And and move them around. And that's what I use. And so if I pick one that's a 
a medium or it's a 10 or it's something like that, then say, well, 10 is not a, a valid number. But if it's a five, you know, I say, okay, how long did that epic that was a five take? And that's the estimate that I give it. Lee, how do you, what do you think about that? Um, my only thought, I think that's great if you've got that data. Um, but I know uh, a lot of people out there end up working on legacy code bases where uh, one release or feature or uh, period in the project is working on one particular part of that code base and uh, and they estimate that and that's one big epic. And then uh, the next period, they're on a completely different section of the code and it all starts all over again. Whatever you learned in the previous one, screw it. You have no clue when it comes to the next one. And so uh, I, I guess while I'm totally agreeing with you, John, I feel like there's a lot of people out there that would go, this doesn't apply to me because I can't apply those particular rules. I don't have that history. And even if I did have that history, I don't feel like I can apply it because it doesn't, it, it no longer applies to my current situation. What do you yeah. think? Yeah, the, uh, I think you're, I, unfortunately, I think uh, you're right and that a lot of people are, are saying that. So the, what that takes me back, where that, where I guess that leads me in thinking is, it on based on what then will based based from what will I use knowledge to create an estimate if I if I can't if I don't have any sort of a frame of reference if I don't have any sort of context you know I've I've given a, a presentation actually on this topic before where I show people objects of different sizes in in, in sort of isolation and I show them a basketball and i say is this basketball large <laughs> is it extra large is it medium small you know an image of a basketball and, and people will say oh well that's large and then in context you know the basketball is the smallest <laughs> thing because there's like bowling yeah. you know there are other things so it's like well what is what, are you, what is your context and what are you basing it on and so to me it's to me it really is all about context and that's why to me the Using that mechanism is the best thing to do, but it, with with a lack of context, how do you estimate? That's a great question, and I, I think your method, as far as the the relative sizing method, if you can go to a team and say, "Look, here are the things we've done in the past, and just tell me, does it, is this bigger or smaller?" Right, the one that we're that we're being asked to do is it bigger than this one or smaller than this other one? Right. Yeah, and then by doing that several times and triangulating where in between what two or three or whatever epics are okay, so we can get it about in this area. If you've got something that you can ask them, hey, is this bigger or smaller? Yeah, if they have a history though, and a history in something sort of close enough that they can, you know, put their mind to relationships between the two things. Um, but I mean, the reality is that's, that's often not even possible. Um, and you know, one of my definitions of agile is facing, facing reality. Uh, the reality is sometimes we just cannot uh, give you a good estimate. I think that's where going back to my original point was that, uh, doing estimates for epics is more about communicating how your team is working and and keeping in contact with the customer 
than it is about actually making the estimate. Yeah, I I would be more more uh, into showing them the burn up chart or the burn down chart to to know you know where we are in reaching um, you know what percentage done are we basically um, where are we in reaching the the end of the parts of this epic that we already know about that that we have to take care of but um, you know we we might add work in the middle of that epic because we found things that we didn't didn't know about before right so addressing uh, maybe another part of the question which was uh, we we declined to estimate until we had broken it out into stories i think that that's a valid a valid approach um under most circumstances i would say it's probably unnecessary if you have that history and that context that you can work from because you can rely on rely on your history to to, uh, to provide you with with an accurate enough of an estimate to get get by with what you need to do uh, I do think if you lack context that then you are sort of required at that point to to drill deeper into the nuts and bolts of really what you're going to be doing until you can finally start to find context that you have based on your experience as a, as an individual, as a human, as a developer on the team, where you can start to now um, at a more granular level, understand all of the ins and outs of what you're going to be doing. And that that's, so I think that without that larger context that we spoke about drilling down until you can start to, to dig out the context from within the heap of information that you have about, about what it is that is desired as the feature of the Epic. I think that's the right way to go. Craig, yeah. The, the value of breaking it into stories isn't to get how many stories and how many story points it's having an understanding of, do you understand the problem? Um, did I think of all the pieces uh, that might come up and at least having some reasonable, um, ballpark idea of what's involved there. I would add that uh, another important piece here is that I that I see a lot of teams make the mistake of is they aren't honest about what their estimate comes out to be. So in a lot of cases, I've seen groups go through the process and come up with an estimate. And when they look at that estimate, they go, oh, gee, I'm not sure I can tell the customer it's going to take that long. And uh, and then they convince themselves that somehow they're wrong. And I, I think in a lot of cases, they should just trust their instincts and trust the fact that if you think it's going to take that long, you're probably right. So and what you should do in that case is talk to the customer to cut scope um, and see how you can come up with the you know, more MVP, minimum viable product or... Uh, what's the other one? Uh, minimum marketable feature. Um, yeah, uh, a lot of times you'll see teams also um, basically they're they're told that they have two weeks, and then they <laughs> somehow the the estimates magically end up being two weeks, and then the actual ends up being four weeks. So 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 don't try to foreshadow and give them a a timeline to meet because they will. They will try to make you happy. You know, if you're the, the product owner, they, the, the team will try to make you happy. Um, but unfortunately, they'll try to make you happy at the beginning, which ends up making you unhappy at the end. 
Uh, so Lee, I started to cheat and look through some of the answers. I don't know if you guys did, but I figured we were sort of getting to the end of our, of our uh, answers. I noticed that mm-hmm. a fair number of people said, don't estimate them. Um, and so I had sort of pre, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do you agree with that uh, one, Craig? Mostly. Okay. I had sort of presupposed that 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 is if you can do that, great. But I had presupposed that there was there was an ask, yeah, uh, and it, you were you were going to be required in this case to provide some sort of an estimate. So I think any any podcast that Tyson and I are in together, we've pretty much beaten that horse pretty pretty well. Yeah, to to channel to channel Tice here. Gee, there's there's business people, and they just have their job to do. They've got to be able to make their plans and make uh, predictions and and to set budgets. That is pretty good, Lee. That's probably what he would say. He would say it way better than that. But you With know, a lot more words. I try. With a lot more words. <laughs> and Craig, I think uh, just to digress for a moment, that uh, Jason spent about half of the last episode, one thirty four of the show trying to speak to you, Craig, oh, and no. convince you that, yes, he actually does real work. Oh, wow. That part, yeah. I haven't listened to the podcast yet, but I did see that part um, that, that he claims to do real work. I, I don't have a community anymore, so I have less time to listen to podcasts. Lucky. <laughs> it has its pros and cons. Okay. As do, as do most things. So uh, do we? Do you have another one, Lee, out there in the? I would love. I would love to see if one of you guys have one of those that uh, you liked. I had one that I liked. Um, yeah. It, okay, I'll read this one because uh, I think this is this is sort of a fun one to talk about. It says, "Can you?" Oh, let's see. Did I go the right thing? Yeah. Okay. the The top level question says, "Can Agile be implemented in day to day personal life?" And then the more detailed question says, can you explain with example, I believe that it may be possible to implement personal activities. I think this person has um, some English uh, issues and English not being a first language. But I think that essentially what they're getting to is, are there examples of how you can use how you can use agile in your personal life? Yeah, I've actually done this. Um in a couple of places. How so? so? Uh, well, when my kids were younger, we had uh, issues with uh, doling out uh, chores, right? In particular, there was this, well, that's not fair. That one, that chore takes longer than that, than this other chore. So we can't really, uh, you can't give me that one and her the other one. And, and so it was kind of this fairness thing, right? But, we, but they all had to get done. So we put uh, a Kanban board where each one of the chores was part of the Kanban board. And each kid had a um, essentially a, a, a weekly set of points. And each and each um, we had estimated each one of the tasks with the kids as to how many points they felt like that chore was worth. And then they each had an equal number of points that they had to satisfy within the week, but they could do it in any order. They could just move it across the Kanban, but basically taking it into the doing column uh, was them claiming it, but then they had to do it, right? 
Um, and then when they were done, they would put it in the finished column and, and <laughs> there in their swim lane. Uh, so that, so that we would then at the end of the week, add up everybody's points or what often happened is they would get a few done during the week and then they would all pile up at the end of the week, but they would still on that Saturday or Sunday when we said, okay, time to get everything finished, they would go through and use the Kanban board and, uh, and finish up the last of their points. I'm curious if you played planning poker with them. (laughs) It wasn't planning poker. It, but it was just a discussion of of how much uh, relative to each other, mm-hmm. how much, how many points each thing was worth. Did Did you ever play Git Kanban game with them to, to show? Them? <laughs> no, I, I did not. <laughs> that they should work on the thing. Good idea. I, I probably need that in my personal life too to show me that the things in progress need to be limited. <laughs> well, well, heck, you didn't need to play Git Kanban because you were doing the real thing with them. Yeah. Well, but Git Kanban shows you that, I mean, you can use Kanban and not understand what Git Kanban is trying to teach you, which is that always work on the thing on the right. Yeah, this was a simplified form where it was just uh, uh, ready to be done, doing done. So... Yeah, I could I could probably stand to um, <laughs> limit my whip in my personal life a lot. Um, I actually came up last night with a, uh, a get alias to push work in progress up to a repo so that I don't have things that I haven't committed to master yet um, because that happens that I end up with uh, pieces of projects on multiple computers and not having one place to find them all. So wait, wait a second, wait a second. That doesn't count as personal life. That's that's work. Um, I have plenty of personal. Pro- Half of my personal life is is coding or writing things up in um, in Markdown, which I keep in GitHub repos. So I'm actually I'm actually moving my to do list to to a Git repo. <laughs> You need to broaden your, uh, your life. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> it, it is winter, me. and one of my favorite outdoor activities is uh, is canoeing. So um, that's a little hard to do in, in January around here. Yeah, unless you have a, a pickaxe <laughs> or something. Pick pick your way down the, the river. Well, I... I've used this, I've used principles of Agile in my personal life, and I can, I can give some examples. Uh, mainly what I have a problem with, and I don't know, Craig, if this is, this is what you were talking about, so let me know if it is. I, tend, I have a tendency to start things but not oh, finish yes. them. Um, and it's not, <laughs> okay, so we have a, we have a we're, we're in the same boat there a little bit, or maybe it's the same canoe, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Well played. (laughs) Yeah, so I like to start things, and then sometimes it just sort of peter out on actually finishing them. And it's probably because I enjoy, like, the activity of starting as opposed to the drudgery of sort of getting things done. Uh, So what what I've done is try to shorten, you know, shorten the activity and do that minimal viable version of, of the activity or the minimal marketable version of the activity. And here, here's a real example. So I wanted to, to clean out my garage and I do this. I try to do this in the spring 
because <clears throat> cruft accumulates in there over the winter time. Uh, and, and so I would, one thing that I would do is drag everything out into the driveway. Well, that's a, that's, if I don't finish that, that's a lot of trouble because now everything's out in the driveway. So I tried to find a way to like do bits and pieces of it and maybe a little bit of this and a little bit of that and sweep over here. And, and that way, if I ever, you know, if, if I got interrupted or I'm like, I'm done with this for now, then, then when I was done, it was done. It, 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 it didn't, I didn't have, I didn't have things left unfinished. Craig, what do you so, think about that? So the garage example, sometimes, yes, but sometimes it's better to empty out the entire garage to make sure that I do the whole thing, that I don't do <laughs> the whole thing for, you know, next year or something, which, which I do have a tendency to do. So sometimes that um, whole hog approach actually has a nice forcing function for me. Um, but in general, I think, yes, the, the smaller projects, um, I think that's the, the getting things done, I believe teaches you to, um, basically say what the next step is toward your each goal. And so you do that small step and by breaking it down into small steps, you're, um, just like an agile, you're more likely to complete it. Uh, you're more likely to feel good about completing it and take that into the next step. Okay, I think we need an arbitrator here because um, I'm not sure I agree. Lee, what do you think about <laughs> what, compare and contrast the pros and cons of my approach to garage cleaning versus <laughs> approach to whole hog garage cleaning? Uh, it seems to me that uh, you both have different personalities and therefore different motivations uh, will, will be effective depending on the person. So John, I probably am closer to you as far as your, uh, uh, the method you would use. And I like the idea of breaking it down into small pieces and getting that, that little jolt of accomplishment, uh, multiple times rather than this huge jolt at the end when I accomplish everything, which is less likely to happen when I haven't, uh, broken it down into those small parts. So I, I totally get that, but, uh, but I think everybody's got their own, does their own thing and they're, they're all good in different ways. So I have trouble getting motivated in things like, especially things like cleaning the garage. Um, so while Agile would tell me to do the small things, I, I, I tend to get less done that way. And I think it's just I found what works for me um, in cleaning the garage tends to be the, the big, um, you know, empty everything out, put it back in and sweep out. Well, that's the other thing, I guess, is it's harder to sweep when you've only... Um, emptied out a small little area oh oh this is good so. this is really good because <laughs> that argument right there is the same thing that i hear on real software agile project Ooh. so it's it's easier for me to sweep out the garage when the whole garage is empty it's it's also easier for me to test once i've done the entire epic so i'm not going to bother to test <laughs> like, I'm going to wait till the end of the whole epic to test also I cheat and I don't sweep all the time sometimes I just use the, the leaf blower <laughs> <laughs> which, which really doesn't work when the garage is in all yeah but it really doesn't work when the garage is partly full you just push the dust on your things <laughs> I'm still confused about this whole garage cleaning thing I don't know what the heck you guys are talking <laughs> about 
Happens about once a year if you're lucky. <laughs> do, do you have two cars in a two car garage, uh, Lee? Or- I, I do. Wow. Yeah, I do. <laughs> but most of my neighborhood does not. Luckily, one of my cars is very small, so uh, we have two cars in our garage. But it, it seems to be not the norm in our two garage neighborhood. Well, it, it it actually is one of my pet peeves when people park on the street and don't use their garage or their driveway. The things that you're supposed to put your cars on, and instead, I have to swerve around all their parked vehicles on the on the street. And, and what's even more amazing is we have big, big basements in our neighborhood too. So like, man, yeah. that's a lot of <laughs> extra storage people need around here or just don't like to clean their garage very often. But I digress a whole bunch. <laughs> okay. We'll, we'll get to another question in a moment. I just want to, one last point is that the other downside I think to that, that whole hog approach is that and you see this in sometimes you see this in neighborhoods. Hopefully, none of your neighborhoods, but people that have stuff in their driveway, on their lawn, on the side of their house. Those people start it with good intentions and put those things there, and then never put them away. Or you know, they cleaned out the garage, they dragged everything out. They're like, "Yeah, I'm done. Uh, I'm just gonna sit there." And <laughs> it's, or it'll only be it'll only be there uh, for a week. Yeah. That's that's called that's called um, tech debt from your home, right? <laughs> yes, it is. Okay, so I think we've officially explained uh, how you can use at some agile practices. Did anybody uh, else have an example? Actually, Did everybody get so? To get- I pulled up the uh, subway map to agile practices to see if there's um, anything that might be in here that I noticed that that we do use in 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 my personal life. Um, pair programming. Wait. What, wait, wait, wait. What, what is the subway map uh, to Agile uh, Practices? It is at agilealliance.org. Um, I will post a link in the show notes. Um, it's the one that shows like basically the different uh, practices of Agile and which um, Agile uh, methodologies they come from, uh, like Lean or Scrum or uh, Extreme Programming. Um, so a few that I would say that I kind of use in my personal life is pair programming. Um, okay. It's not pair programming. If this, if this becomes a, a marriage <laughs> counseling thing, well, I'm, no, I'm I was just going to say like doing things together with my wife is, is sort of, you know, pair programming. and, you know, and, and having Ooh, a, a partner. It. Well, Hey, um, I think that uh, retrospectives would be the, the marital counseling one. Um, but yeah, sometimes, you know, sharing the workload um, uh, works out really well. And I think that's kind of what, what marriage is, is about. Anyone have a, have a stand-up for their uh, personal life? Ooh, that's a good question. I do not. Lee? Hmm. No, I don't hmm. think so. Other than, well, actually, my wife and I do... But that's a bit personal. I don't even. I don't even know what that means. Oh my god! All right. I'm calling. Uh, Mrs. McCauley. Does that, does that happen? In, here, here's another one. Does that happen in the team room? Team room is apparently a practice. If you, if this uh, is going to uh, get really out if of hand. We bring hands, up sustainable pace. I, uh, no, we. Okay. Uh, just because it's gonna it's gonna <laughs> freak uh, people out. Um, so my wife and I tend to to shower together every morning, 
And so we have conversations in the shower. Um, nice. And that's our stand up. We are literally standing up and we've got a limited time because nice. well that done. hot water is not going to last forever. That your team room is the shower. <laughs> that's crazy. My team room is the shower. All right. If it works for you. We, we have a pairing station. We have sinks right next to each other. I've had, uh, I've done the retro at home. You know, what's working well, what's working and not working so well. I've done that with a family, you know, sort of a family yeah. and not, not done it like a, like a regular retro at work, but used principles from that to have discussions with the family. That's cool. Yeah. Okay. But let's move on and see if we can get another, uh, another question in here. Uh, we'll give Craig a chance. Craig, you want to, you want to find a question for us? Um, yeah. One of the most popular questions in the list says to be uh, successful in agile, should you do regression testing for each iteration? And we, we briefly <laughs> talked about that before we started recording and, and Lee and I actually had a disagreement already before we even got <laughs> to answering the questions. So I kind of want to go there. Um, so the, the 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 discussion was about is regression testing even in agile practice? Um, I mean, and, and I said I are. said it was a it was a software development practice, not necessarily agile. Yeah. Um, I okay. I said it. I said it much more more bluntly. Well, I don't know, uh, and I don't <laughs> I don't disagree with that, but um, I mean, testing is is a big part of agile. Um, I guess maybe it's more how we test than than whether we do regression testing, though. Right? Maybe that's our our disagreement so, or the distinction that needs to be made. To to, I mean, if it, looking again, looking at the subway map, I mean, there's a whole track on testing, um, but none of them actually say regression testing. To be fair, so I think there's a deeper question here, which is. Um, when we're writing software in general and we're doing it in this iterative way, um, what is our cadence for testing? Well, I think that depends a lot on, you know, how, how you've got your testing set up, um, which is, which is some things that agile does have recommendations, um, on how to do like, like test first, um, with unit tests, uh, the unit test should be automated. I think, I don't know that any of us here are going to disagree with that unless you've got some really off the wall requirements. <laughs> um, I, I think that's pretty much a very minimal baseline. Um, Absolutely. But uh, if you've got sort of end to end acceptance tests, those might take longer. Um, you probably want to do some exploratory testing. Um but uh, I, I mean, to answer the question, I, I think you should be doing regression testing at least each iteration. Um, but I mean, if you get to continuous deployment, then uh, you might have a larger regression testing suite that that you want to run periodically that actually is longer than each iteration. If each iteration is, you know, an hour or less. But I think in general, you, that should even that should be automated regression testing, um, and then maybe there's some um, exploratory manual testing that happens just 
pretty much throughout the day uh, to see if there's any problems that weren't caught by the automated tests. I don't think I'd disagree with that. I wanted to jump in here because I, I partially feel like this is a little bit of a loaded question. Um, and, but then, uh, but then so that's, but that's okay. And then I'm, I'm, I'm also surprised at how popular or that this is like one of the most popular questions uh, on the website, just because I don't know, I, it doesn't, <clears throat> again, it seems, it seems to me sort of like a loaded question, but I think, my answer to this question is yes. The answer is yes. You should do regression testing for each release or for each iteration or, or whatever they're calling it uh, or whatever, however you're, however you're demarcating these periods of time where, um, where you want to do this regression. I think the real, the real trap that you can run into on uh, on projects on agile projects is the fact that there's no testing phase. You know, in the old days of waterfall, we we spec'd out time where we said, you know, we're going to spend X amount of time doing testing, and and that was that was somehow estimated. And what, however, that happened, that happened. But you had this phase where you went and you did you did this testing stuff. Um, to me, if you aren't in today's world, with the way we we do continuous integration, continuous uh, delivery and deployment, and the cycle of the cycle and the speed of delivery is so much different than it ever has been in the past. The 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 let's call it the waterfall past. That if you don't have a way to do regression testing effectively. Uh, over time, you will get so far behind the curve on regression testing that it will become untenable and unsustainable for you to do regression testing. So what I'm what this means is forces the issue to say, do the regression testing and make sure you're doing it in a way that you can continue to do it the more and more functionality that you add. And the only way you can do that is through automation. So I think that this real the real question here is, Shouldn't I be automating all of my, you know, my regression testing over time so that I can continue to have regression testing until the very last feature ever gets added? And I've got now 100 features that I regression test in some way, shape or form. I think the key there is some some way, shape or form, which is makes still go back to that uh, testing pyramid and make sure you're not uh, uh automating stuff that is going to, you don't necessarily have to automate everything, but it should be the vast majority of your stuff should still be automated. There's still going to be some things that are not. So I think the the answer to the question is yes, you should be doing that probably, except context matters. And so there are some circumstances where it might not be the right choice. Oh, that's a big shrug of the shoulders then well it's 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 default to yes unless you can prove to me that you yes, have but. that you have a a good reason not to you said yes probably in context matters so maybe yep yep <laughs> so but i would like to clarify yes unless you can prove to me otherwise Software development is not a uh, a clean thing. Agile is not a clean thing. All of this is 
guesswork and we're faking it all the way through. <laughs> we're doing the best we can every single day and we're screwing up constantly too. And we're continually learning. And we're learning. There you go. That's the important part. The Agile Manifesto. We acknowledge and recognize that we're learning new ways to do things all the time. <laughs> See, I would have rephrased that. I would have said, I acknowledge the fact that I'm a dumbass on most days, but I'm paying attention and recognize when I'm a dumbass most of the time, or I hope somebody will tell me. You, you try not to make the same mistakes you made yesterday. You got it. <laughs> I would be willing to bet that version one of the Agile Manifesto had dumbass in it somewhere. <laughs> you think so? <laughs> I think it would have gone. I, I think they would have actually made something out of that manifesto if they'd you know, <laughs> used more flower, flowery language. I, I wonder how much alcohol was involved <laughs> in that in that uh, ski lodge. <laughs> right. <laughs> if they had more alcohol and more colorful metaphors. I personally imagine whenever I think of the Agile Manifesto I and it's being created, I actually think of them in uh, a big hot tub in the middle of the snowy uh, uh, Alps. <laughs> I think they're all sitting in a hot I tub. Was, I, think, about I don't think stuff. it was the Alps. I think it was the Rockies, but uh, Rockies, there, well. there may have been a hot tub. Who knows? Maybe we'll get uh, one Those of are the, the best hot tubs. Maybe we'll get one of the signatory snow. When you have to walk through snow to get to your hot tub, that is a great hot tub. I'll bet they're all having a stand-up meeting in a giant shower. This week's hottest picks. Okay, Lee, what do you have for your pick for this episode? Well, my pick is what we kind of used for the episode, so I cheated. Uh, the Agile Connection, uh, pretty simple, www.agileconnection.com. Seems like a Pretty cool site. Uh, good, good resources in there. Yeah, we love resources <laughs> and people, and they're not the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> thanks for finding the Agile Connection. That was really helpful for our conversation tonight. I will go second, and uh, my pick. I, I, I had one in our notes here. I, I thought of a second one while we were talking, uh, and it was because you mentioned Agile Connection. There's another thing out there called uh, the Agile Coalition. I got invited to this probably a year and a half ago. I actually know some people in Denver. I think they started it up. And by the way, they have a podcast. I know it's in competition with uh, this Agile life, but there's plenty of podcast listeners out there to share. So I'll go ahead and put a link in our show notes uh, pointing you over to the Agile Coalition. And then my second pick is uh, from 2017, I guess sort of, you know, how they like to do those end of the year, best of 2017 sort of things. I found out on Hacker Noon that uh, somebody put up the top 66 developer resources from 2017. So I will also have that link in our show notes. So I think the video might have cut out. I thought... You said Hacker Noon, but I assume you meant Hacker News? No, Hacker. No. Hacker Noon. What is that? Dude, get get with it. <laughs> oh, my God. More stuff I need to read? No. You're, you're so 2010, man. Oh, no. I, I love Hacker News as well. I don't specifically know much about Hacker Noon. 
um, again, I, you know, I, I aggregate a lot of my, what I look at and read about from like Reddit and news feeds and those sorts of things. So I don't know if it's a, if it's like really a, that credible of a site or not, but you know, I, I found this article interesting and there were a number of items, developer resources again on that list that I found interesting. So there it is. Cool. Good to know. Today I learned. So what do you have for us then, Craig? All right. So um, when I do picks, I kind of look around at what I've been looking at on the internet. And I've been watching a lot of car videos lately. Um, And there's a columnist uh, from Auto Trader. Uh, This column is called Oversteer. And he's got a a channel on YouTube. Uh, His name is Doug DeMiro. And he um, basically goes around the country and uh, borrows people's cars to test drive uh, exotic cars usually. Um, so it's really cool to see these exotic cars that he's showing you all the features and, and, and weird quirks and um, rating them how they would be for the weekend, you know, how much creature comforts and also how cool are they? Um, so that's one of the things I've been up to. Uh, the other one, maybe a little bit related to, to work. Um, so I can't listen to music and program because um, the lyrics kind of get in the way of my my thinking. Uh, so I can't listen to any music without lyrics, and I don't like really like electronic music, and I don't like most classical music that's not you know really exciting. Um, so I, I generally don't listen to music while programming. But I think I might have found something finally that I can listen to. Uh, it's it's music that I'm familiar with. Um, and um but it's 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 instrumental versions um and so two artists that uh, in particular that i found that i think might work for me uh one's called two cellos and so they are cello players and they basically play heavy metal and hard rock versions on their cello uh and they're they're quite interesting in fact i'm going to see them uh at a local uh uh theater in uh i think next week and uh, the other one's called the harp twins and they're sort of a similar idea they're actually playing metallica and other similar artists on on two harps and and they actually are twins um so i'm gonna see if i can actually listen to those while programming I got a suggestion for you, Craig, along those same lines. Uh It's one that my my uh, youngest daughter pointed me to. It's called the Piano Guys, and they they don't just do pianos. One of them is a pianist. The other one is a celloist or a cellist. Sorry. Um, And they do some some nice stuff along those same lines that you're describing. So you might like that one, too. Yeah, there's quite a few mashup types. Um, I I really like actually the the edges of, of rock or where rock combines with some other genre. So another one like that is like um, Hazy Dixie, which is ACDC songs uh, played in bluegrass. <laughs> cool. Yeah, those are those are neat. I'm going to check those out because I, I'm in the same boat and I don't actually listen to a lot of music while I'm at work because because of the pairing and that sort of mm. thing. But when I'm working on projects, you know, fun projects at yeah. home, I like to something and what I've started doing, Craig, is I listen to and I know you said you don't like electronics, so this may or may not work for you. But I had read somewhere that, you know, the game, the the game, ugh, the music that they use for video games mm. is written in a way or it is composed in a way to make you um, 
make you keep playing the game. So then <laughs> I thought that's a great idea for programming because it gets you in a groove and you keep your programming. So I start, I found some different stations and channels out there that are like uh, electronified versions sometimes of video game music or just the video game music itself without any sort of uh, anything done to it or any sort of production value added to it. Yeah, so. I could see that maybe working. Another thing for all of our listeners to check out. Sweet. Well, great picks, guys. And for all of the listeners out there that have been with us through all these 135 episodes now, thank you. And since we did this Q&A session tonight, you know, we'd love to answer your questions as well. So if you want to send those to us, uh, you can tweet them to us at This Agile Life. Or you could uh, email them to us, I think. Well, you could email them to me and you can find my email address at thisagilelife.com. You could also join our Slack channel. And if you want to do that, reach out to us via the website and we can get you hooked up on the Slack channel. But let us know what sorts of questions you would like for us to answer in the future. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening and keep living this Agile life. This Agile Life is brought to you by a community of Agile developers and coaches aspiring to spread the word about this groundbreaking approach to software development. Join us at thisagilelife.com forward slash community.